Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. I love to listen to, I get overwhelmed with like music with words, so I listen to a ton of instrumental uh, instrumental music, especially when I'm, when I'm writing, because too many words, and I'm writing the song, and I shouldn't be I'm writing, I need to write, no words. So what I'll do is I'll get on like iTunes music, or like a Pandora, and I'll listen to film scores. Um, the Braveheart soundtrack, the Gladiator soundtrack, the Black Stallion soundtrack, take you, take you way back, um, Last of the Mohicans. And so I listened to all these songs. What's crazy, and I didn't know this about me, this is, it was kind of, a, kind of a weird deal. I was typing away one day, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to work, and I hear this song, and immediately I was like, that's Last of the Mohicans. I don't know that I've ever seen the entire movie, Last of the Mohicans. But that, for whatever reason, that song triggered those, those thoughts, and I was like, is that what this is? And I looked, Last of the Mohicans. So then it became a game that I was playing with myself. So every song that would come up, I'd be like, Gladiator. And I would look, Gladiator, two for two. Heard another one, Black Stallion. Black Stallion? For 1979 or whatever it was? Yes. You know how old I was? Two when it came out. I've seen it, you know, 300 times, but knew exactly what it was, knew it. There's these things that we, that we kind of attach to. Uh, and inside of, the, the reason that those, those are so powerful, those songs are so powerful, and they evoke these images, is because it points to a time inside the film to where visually and auditorily, like, you connect it. And so you're seeing something, you're hearing something, and the music is mimicking the emotions that should be happening inside of you right away. And so you just connect. Here's the problem with reading the Bible is that you can watch TV. True? Like, it's almost two-dimensional. I mean, it's like... There's, it doesn't pop out like it, like it should pop out. It's not because God's Word is dull. It's because we don't have the eyes to see or the Jewish background to understand exactly what's going on in there. Okay, so let me give you an, let me give you an example. There is a... several numbers that unfold in scripture. And when you see these numbers within the context, if, it's, if, if the context is, context is suggesting it, the number might mean, hey, you're supposed to feel a certain way. Let me give you an example. When God decided that the world had just become an absolute disaster and he was going to flood it, he caused rain to fall for how many days? 40. When it stopped raining, and, the, and we were waiting on the water, Noah was waiting on the waters to recede. How many days did they wait before they saw land? Forty. The waters began to recede. Now, this is Genesis. We're probably not going to pick up on the pattern just yet. This is right in the beginning. So you're not going to think to yourself like, oh, you're going to be like, that's ironic. You know, rain for 40 days, stop. Waters went down for 40 days. I wonder what that's about. You keep going through scripture. Moses killed an Egyptian. You know, he's raised in Egypt. 
And then at, at uh, what was it? 40 years? He kills a fellow Egyptian. Then he flees and he lives in the desert in Midian. And he tends sheep. Do you know how long he tended sheep? 40 years. After that, God called him and he came back and he led the Israelites out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for... Whoa, right? Whoa, this is blowing my mind. So, like, what, is that, what does that mean? It's, it's important. So, Jesse, 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 says to his son, David, your brothers are off at war. I want you to take these goods, this wheat and these cheese wheels, and I want you to take it to your brothers who are fighting in Saul's army. Okay. So David goes. When he gets there, all the, all the brothers, I think three of the brothers fought for Saul, but the brothers are on the front lines. They're standing there. David makes his way through the foxhole, I mean, through the trenches and all this, and he gets up there, and he's like, hey, what's going on? You know, what's going on in the war? And they're looking at him because he's the littlest brother. He's the youngest brother, which, by the way, there's another really great number system that happens in there. Um, we'll talk about it another time. So he's talking to his brothers. He's like, hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, what's happening? And then he says that the champion, the Philistine champion, the giant, Goliath, comes out and he begins to taunt Israel's army. And he does this for days on end. Any guess how many days he does this? It's at that moment, David says, hold on. This guy has been bad-mouthing Israel's army for 40 days? They're like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to go take care of this right now. And they're like, you are an idiot. Go home, tend your sheep, leave this to the men. What is wrong with you? And he's like, no, that's, that's not going to work. He said, uh, is there like a reward for getting this guy? They're like, you're, did you ride your bike here? Is that, you rode your bike here, didn't you? Like, get back on your bicycle, on the banana seat, and go home. Go tend sheep. And he's like, no, I want to talk to your, I want to talk to your supervisor. They're like, you are an absolute idiot. He works his way all the way up the chain of command. He gets to Saul, and he says, uh, so let me get this right. You put out a reward to go off this guy that's out there, and you're going to take care of his family and all this kind of deal, and no one has gone out to do this? Did you hear the stuff that he's been saying about God and Israel and Israel's army? Did you hear that stuff? Saul, on the other hand, is sitting there going, yeah, I mean, I heard it. He's like, you're going to do anything about it? And he's like, I'll go take care of it. Saul's like, look, I can't send a kid to go do a man's job. Here, wear my armor. <laughs> this is basically what he said. Put this on. David tries to put it on, and he's just swimming in this armor. Finally, he says, uh, I'm not, I think I'll be okay without it. Runs down the hill, on his way, kicks a few stones, see how's, see, sees how they roll. Oh, yeah, there's a few smooth ones. Picks them up, puts them in his little shepherd bag. That's basically the same thing. He sits on the front of the handlebars on those little kids' bikes with the streamer. His little shepherd's bag. Tucked him right there inside of his little bicycle bag. And he heads on down there for 40 days. David shows up. Throws one rock from his sling. Kills the guy. Goes out there. Grabs the great big sword out of that enormous scabbard. Raises it up with his spindly little arms and drops it on the neck of the giant. While Moses is in Egypt with the Israelites, he goes up on the mountain. And he is up there for a long time. You'll never guess how many days. Up there for a 
long time talking to God. Can you guess how long? Three times he went to the mountain. Three times he spent a specific amount of time up there. And three times it was 40 days. Let me tell you what you're hearing right now. When you read 40 days, this is what's supposed to happen on the inside of you. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. This is what's supposed to go on inside of your heart, inside of your mind. This is this kind of scene that you begin to pull your hands up and you watch through your fingers. You pull the covers up, you pull your knees up, you lean close to your friend and you're like, this is going to be scary. I don't know what's happening. That's what's supposed to happen when you read that in Scripture. It means this is a time of testing. You better brace yourself. This is going to be good. It means everything is on the line right now. There is a child wandering out onto the battlefield and there is a seasoned giant who will probably eat this kid if he gets his hands on him. Dun, dun, dun. There are, there's a film score written inside of these stories. It's not just, it's not just biblical stories either. Uh, gestation period for a human? Any idea? 40 weeks. It means a time of trial and a transition on the way. 40 weeks. Let me take it to another even weirder place. Ready? There are 40 spaces on the Monopoly board. There's free parking and there's jail. Which kind of sums up life sometimes, doesn't it? Like, am I going to get a parking spot or I'm going to jail? Like, this is... I got one in 40 chance. Like, what's going to happen? No, no, it's one or the other, you know? Jared, is this what you do all week long is look up these weird statistics? Is this what you do? This is what we pay you to do. All week long? No, just 40 hours. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord about it. When you hear 40, something should happen inside of you. There's a story. There's a, there's a song. It's that opening, lonely, solitary swimmer. And then you hear, dun, 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 dun. That is what's going on. 40. We're talking about Jesus' stories. We're going to spend some time walking through some of these narratives. We're going to try to pull some of the richness that's, that's in there, try to pull it out so that we can see it, so we can feel it, so that we can put our hands on it. We're going to start in Luke chapter 4. In chapter 3, Jesus appears and he's in the Jordan River and he's being baptized by John the Baptist it says when he comes up out of the water the Holy Spirit 
descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven and it said, You are my son, whom I'm well pleased. Let me read the passage for you. You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, and he was the son, or so it was thought, of Joseph. Luke, the writer, goes into great detail to list out the genealogy of Jesus. In Luke's account, there are, I think, 77 names that are mentioned. In Matthew's account, any idea how many names are mentioned? Yeah. Crazy. Jesus being number 41. Chapter 4 opens up. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Let's pause for just one second. Listen, if you've made some new spiritual commitment in your life, can I go ahead and, 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 and tell you this? When you crawl out of that baptistry, after you give your life to the Lord, when you recommit to your marriage, when you say to yourself, like, I'm going to do better at this, or I'm going to quit this thing, or I'm going to do this thing, you need to know, like, there is a time of testing that's coming. There's a time of trial that's coming. You know, you know what I wish? Here's what I wish. You can make a new commitment to the Lord, and then, like, all of a sudden, you were untouchable. You know? Just completely... Just untouchable. Unfortunately, somewhere inside of this system, that just doesn't happen. We come out, we're refreshed, our soul is new, we're happy with this new commitment that we have made. We're so thrilled with the idea that I'm going to recommit to my marriage, I'm going to recommit to being a good dad, I'm going to focus on my quiet time, I'm going to read my Bible every single day, and then Tuesday happens, and it's just like, guess what today is? What? January 40th. And that's what it feels like. Sorry, it's a metaphor. And the pattern's broke. So, right out of the gates. If you make some big spiritual goal and you're going to move forward, no, Satan is going to turn on the heat. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you into a dark place, into a desert time. And that is for strengthening. That's what that's for. Do you know what? You know what I see inside the church? And I've been, a lot of you have been a part of churches. You know, you know what I see inside of a lot of churches? This is why a lot of older people do not grow in the Lord because there's a certain line to where we say, I think I've paid my dues. I'm done suffering for the Lord. I've been depositing and depositing and depositing for years. I ain't interested in moving forward anymore. I've got enough pain. I don't need the Lord. That's what happens. Women get bitter. Men get cynical. We stop growing. That's the thing that we have to be on guard against. Dun, dun, dun. Ready? Dun, dun, dun. Brace yourself. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Dun, dun, dun. In this story, we... We just kind of brush it aside like, oh, the devil tried real hard, but Jesus was just too strong. Jesus had to play by the rules. And the rules were this. He had to be 100% human. He had to walk this road that we walk. 
This was a fight. Jesus was, check the word out, tempted. Do you know what happens when you're tempted and then you fall into that temptation? Do you know what that, you know what that is? Sin. Jesus is on this threshold of being tempted. This wasn't a thing to where Jesus was just like, come on, fella, you don't phase me. 40 days, no food, in the desert, lonely, and the devil in his ear the whole time. 40 days. This is the moment to where every good yarmulke-wearing Jew should be like, oh, no, 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 no. This could be bad. This could be face-to-face with the devil right now in the desert, no one else around, and he's got to play by the rules of earth. We could lose our salvation in this moment right now. Everything in the world is teetering on this moment right now. If Jesus fails or falls or gives in, it's over. We wouldn't be here. And everybody pulls their blankets up. They're watching through their eyes. What is going to happen? The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Can I tell you what the devil will do? Here's what the devil will do. How in the world does this look like our temptation? Here's what the devil will do. He will question you and make you wonder if you really are who you are. This is the way it sounds. Come on, fella. This has been you your whole life. You're never going to get past this sin. Never. If you really are the Son of God, listen, the devil knew he was the Son of God. The devil knew who he was all the way back at the beginning. Ever since Satan's fall from heaven, he knew who Jesus was. And so he... He just wants Jesus to question this. It's quite a step from heaven to earth. Stepping away from all this glory, all this power, and then down here, make himself like a servant. And the devil comes in and wants to undermine it. Come on, if you really are, if you really are the son of God, all you have to do is make some bread. You can do this. Here's what it sounds like in my life. Come on. Really? Really? This is what you do for a living? With all the garbage that happens inside of your head that you fight off all the time, really, you still think that you're qualified to do this job? Here's what it may sound like in yours. Come on. You've made the same mistake before, and you know it's going to happen again. You're no different than you were before you got baptized. You're no different than you are. You're no different than you were back then in your first marriage. You're the same adulterous, broken down, bizarre, strange individual. You know you are. You know you can't stop using. You know you can't. You know it's coming. You see, the way the devil tempts us is this. Question you. Now, here's what happens. History is right. The devil is correct. When he causes those kind of questions to go on inside of us, like he's 100% right. Jared, you mean to tell me, based on history, that you are a walking highlight film? No. No, I'm not. That you've got it all worked out, that you and Jesus are tight, really, if you really were a Christian, if you really were. He wants to cause doubt. You see, the human response is this. 
No, really, I'm different this time. I'm different this time. I'm not like I was before. I'm different this time. But watch Jesus' response. It is written, man does not live on bread alone. Did you see him just flake off the insult? If you really are the son of God, turn those rocks into bread. Have you ever got insulted by somebody and it really bothered you and then later on you were like, I've never cared what that person has thought ever in my life. Yet suddenly now I do. Now I care. Why would I care? Why would I internalize something like this and let it chew me to pieces? And then there's moments where you just say, I think they're broke. I think they're busted. I think they're sad. I think their life is probably a mess. And I've probably been that person before. And we want to engage in that dialogue. Jesus doesn't even engage in the dialogue. If you're really the son of God, Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't really care about the whole physical part of this deal. Here's what I know. God's word specifically says this. There is a bread for the body and there is a bread for the soul. And my physical body will follow my spiritual being. That's why these knuckles are up here. These brass knuckles are up here. I will beat my body and make it a slave so that after preaching, I will not be disqualified. My physical body will follow where my spirit goes. Jesus knew this. Our response to temptation is this. Whoa, hold on. Do I need this thing right here? In my weakness, in my, in my, in my, feeble, my feeble thinking, and how I feel so frail at times, to where temptation is knocking at my door, and I keep thinking to myself, surely someone else has got to answer that. I can't. Oh, if I go to the door, I, I don't want to let them in. I got to stay away from that. We don't, even have to, we don't even have to engage in the dialogue. Our response is this. Here's what scripture says. I don't need this bread right now. I don't need to commit this sin right now. I don't need this drug right now. I don't need this sexual relationship right now. I don't need any of this stuff right now. Here's what I know that I need. If my physical body is craving something that is just out there, there's something wrong with my soul. And Jesus meets us in that place. He says, there's something better for you. There is a bread that will finish off here. It will fill you. It will sustain you here. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. This is a really neat phrase. Jesus is invited by Satan. Come with me. Let me just show you something. Let me just show you something. And it says they go to a high place. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means a mountain, top of a tree. Uh, they're flying. I, I don't know. But he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and it says, in an instant. The word is what you call a hopex legomenon. It means it's only used one time in Scripture, this word. And the word is stigma. In a stigma, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Look at these people here. Look at Rome. Look at Africa. Look at the Mayan people. Look at these castles that are being built. Look at all of these powerful, powerful nations. These can belong to you. I know why you're here, Jesus. It's because you're coming to be the king. But let me offer you an easier path to being king. Bow down and worship me. 
I will give you all of this. How does the devil tempt us? He will promise us, he will promise us gain at a lesser cost. He promises us gain at a lesser cost. This is a, this is a little outside of is a little outside of, of where the sermon's intended to go. Let me just drop this in, though. Do you know what the problem with trying to get goods from God on an easier road than the narrow path? Do you know what the problem with that is? Is that there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Forty years wandering in the desert? That's not easy. All the time they spent, 70 years they spent in Babylon, in exile? That's not easy. 40 days in the desert? That's not easy. On a cross? That's not easy. All the martyrdom that had happened uh, after, after the, the, the life of Jesus and the disciples, the, starting with the disciples, all the people that had been martyred for their faith, all the people that are being killed today for their faith, there's not an easy road. It's a lie. It's a lie. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned about pornography. The reason that it is so attractive and pulls so many people in is because it promises absolute fulfillment with no emotional exchange. Let's... Let's talk plain. This means that a man or a woman can look at pornography and engage in pornography and then never have to engage with an actual person. You don't have to put up with him and what men are and you don't have to put up with her and what women are. It's just seemingly this safe place to where you can do whatever you want and no one's getting hurt. And it's a lie. Jesus' response. Satan says, and he said to him, I will give you, I will give you the world. Uh, and in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor for it has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Water takes the path of least resistance. And the devil will always call us to take the path of least resistance. In your marriage, you will always want to take the path of least resistance. Somebody does. I know he does this a lot, but I don't want to fight. I know she's like this, but confronting her causes more problems than actually just keeping my mouth shut. I know my kid is kind of out of control, but if I spank him, they'll have a meltdown and it'll be an absolute disaster. We want to take the path of least resistance all the time. And the devil will always tempt us in this area. Jesus responds, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Maybe you do have all the power. And maybe you can hand me all the joys and all the power and all the authority and all the kingdoms of the world. Maybe you can 
but I have bought into another system that has made me a son and you a son or daughter of the Lord. And I bought into this system and that's where my allegiance lies. That's where my worship goes. And for all the tea in China, all the money in the world, all the nations of the entire universe, I cannot do that. And Jesus simply replies, here's what scripture says. You can only worship God. He doesn't get into a debate because we can have a debate right now. Does Satan really have the power to hand over all the kingdoms of the world? Do you see what we've just, we've just done? We just bypassed the entire point. So what? We get to the other side and we're like, apparently he does have the power to do that. Now are you ready to worship him? Well, no. Why were we talking about it? Jesus bypasses the whole system. Now, not having this discussion. You know what my biggest problem with sin is? Is that sometimes I stay a little too long having the conversation. Hey, you know what a good idea is? Bing. Well, I don't know if that's a good idea. It's a pretty good idea. I don't know if it's a pretty good idea. No one will know. <laughs> if there was a third version of me that could step out and be like, hey, idiot, why are you talking to him? Why are you talking to him? I stay in the conversation too long. Jesus gives us a perfect example. How do you handle it? Listen, go to the bottom line. What's he want? Worship. I can't. Jesus did not go through and say, well, let's weigh it out. No, I can't. What's the bottom line? What do you want from me at the very end of the day? Uh, worship. No. Okay, done. The devil led him to Jerusalem. That's important. Where is the Lord's soft spot? Mm. Jerusalem. That's his, that's his place. Those are his people. You get to the book of Revelation, all of a sudden there is a new Jerusalem. This is the city of David. Jesus, before he goes in and before he is, before he is crucified, he's on the outside of Jerusalem and he's looking into the city and he says this, and he's crying and he says, Oh, how I wish to gather you like, like a mother hen gathers her chicks underneath her wings, but you would not let it happen. And the devil knows this. He takes Jesus to Jerusalem, even more so to the temple. And he says, Jesus, look. Let's jump off of here together. Now, that sounds crazy when you hear it. Like, if somebody took you to the top of the church and they were like, Listen, let's jump off together. <laughs> Why are we up here in the first place? It doesn't make any sense. But the devil's slick. First Corinthians says that he will masquerade. I mean, Second Corinthians 11 says he masquerades as an angel of light. Here's where the devil adapts the game plan and comes at you. This is for Christians here. This temptation, this is for Christians. This is one we wrestle with. Let's go to the top. You want followers? You want people to come to your church? You want people on your team, Jesus? This whole movement you're starting, don't you want to really just get some serious attention? Check this out. In, in, I started doing a thing about a year ago to where I started doing some writing uh, for, for different companies. I got a 
I got an uh, invitation to do a job n- not too long ago. And it's for a doctor. And this doctor is trying to build his social media footprint. Okay? So he's trying to build some authority on social media. And so he asked me if I would write some stuff for him and then put it on his social media page. Basically, I'm going to be the doctor on Facebook and Twitter. That's, that's the job. Would you please be this, handle all this for me? I'll send you the material. You just upload it for me. I don't have time to do it. Okay, well, I don't. I mean, I'm not going to interact with people and be all personal. Well, based on my, uh, let me get my stethoscope. Not like that, but just putting the information out there. And then he asked me this question. Do you know of any companies where we can buy Facebook likes and Twitter retweets? Such a thing exists. Such a thing exists to where for $20, you can contact the company, and then all of a sudden you will have 100, 500, 1,000 new Facebook friends, all of them retweeting whatever it is you say. You can get on Twitter, and for a certain amount of money, not with Twitter, another company, for a certain amount of money, you send them this check or, or, or give them your credit card, and they will get you a thousand retweets. Whatever you put out, it will just be retweeted across the whole social media platform. Here's the reason why. Because if somebody goes to your site and you're selling something or you're trying to market something, one of the first things we do is we want to know, oh, is this guy a legitimate doctor? No, he has four Facebook friends. It, don't you, when you get an account, when you get like a new invitation and you don't know this person and you're like looking at it like, who is this? So you check the profile. And you go and they're like, they have four friends and they posted nothing. And none of them you know. Uh, no, delete. I don't know what that is. That's weird. I'm not, I don't know what that is. You can buy likes. You can buy Twitter retweets. You can buy followers on Instagram if you're interested. Is anything real? No. Jesus. Do you really want to get everybody's attention? Do you want to boost sales? Do you want people to be absolutely amazed with who you are and show them that you have the power? Jump off. And then the devil does something so tricky. And this is us. This is is Christians. He says, because Jesus, you know what the Bible says. Wait, time out. Is he allowed to do that? Can he quote our our playbook yeah but he doesn't do it right if you compare the passage that he quotes to what he actually says in this it's out of Psalm 91 if you compare the two he misquotes it he doesn't even use it the right way he uses it out of context and he changes the passage but it sure sounds good because here's what it says he will command his angels concerning you Jesus to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Do you want all the Jews to know who you really are, that you are the Messiah? Then jump. God will protect you. He'll protect you. Jesus responds. This is beautiful. It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. If you have a situation or a decision that's going on in your life 
and you're beginning to read through scripture and you find something that kind of backs up that decision, let me offer you this one little piece of advice. Find another one that says the same thing. Do you know how you interpret scripture? With scripture. You interpret scripture with scripture. We don't just get to be like, okay, let's see what the Lord has for me today. Then Daniel was greatly perplexed. I'm greatly perplexed. That's ironic. I'm so perplexed like Daniel was perplexed. What happened next? Well, I'm not sure. Let's see what happened to Daniel. Uh, his thoughts terrified him, and he said to the king, my Lord, it was only a dream. Oh, good, it was only a dream. That's good news. We base it off of just a random shotgun, uh, Russian roulette type of Bible study. Listen, Jesus knew his Bible well enough that when it was quoted to him, he went back and said, yes, that, the Bible does say that, but it wasn't talking about that. In fact, that goes against something else in Scripture, and it doesn't work. This is called being diligent. The Bereans did the same thing. Paul preached to the Berean church, and the Bereans would listen to what Paul had to say, then they would go home and double-check him. Eh, he sounds like he's on point. We're going to study this ourselves. Beautiful. You see, here's the problem that I have. I, I don't know about you, but I can get a really good idea that isn't necessarily a bad idea. Not a great idea, but it would work out best for me if it went this way. And I'll find a Bible verse that works really well for that, and I'll hold on to it, and I'll try to make it my own. And then I'll try to use it as a great big monkey wrench to crank all my plans around, or God's plans around, to match mine. With this huge verse I found that says, I can do all things that strengthen me. And I'm cranking on God's will with this enormous wrench. And the whole time he's like, you know that's not what I meant, right? You know that wasn't what I meant, right? Raise them up in the way that they should go. And when they were old, they will not fall away. We use that one too, don't we? Is that a promise? We'll hold on to it like it is. Are there other things that Scripture would suggest in parenting? Not just raise them up in the way they should go. That's pretty vague, my friends. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Do you know what the opportune time was going to be? Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples, and he tells his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be killed. And their stomachs dropped. They were sad, terrified, and broken at this news. Peter, who is always on the forefront, always going to champion a cause for Jesus, jumps to the front, fights through the rest, and says, No, Lord, it cannot happen that way. There's got to be a better plan. And Jesus saw right through it, through one of his very best. Get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God. Listen, all the good advice in the world from all the greatest people you know might not suggest that you are still inside of God's will. It requires diligence on our end because he is slick. He is sly. And he's trying to drag us off course. 
You see, he wants to crush your confidence. He wants to crush everything that you think you are inside of Christ. He wants to pull you aside and he wants to uh, kind of give you some instant retweets and a little popularity and he wants to find a way. How could this look good? Me using God to make me look good. He wants to tempt us in all these ways. Jesus, in the presence of only Satan, manages to remain faithful. Thus, our salvation happens because he didn't give in to temptation. He had to play by the rules. He had to be tempted in every single way that we would be tempted in. He then becomes our high priest, one who can intercede and one who can stand in front between us and God and say, I've been there, Lord. I have been there. Dad, I have been there. And it is freaking hard down there. It is so hard. But they trusted me and we made it. And so they're with me. And Jesus becomes our high priest. 